What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Rehab Project Podcast. This is Brett Kelly. Today we have J.P. Thompson. He's a PT here in St. Louis, and we kind of touched on a bunch of different topics, starting off on injuries after COVID, really how um, this pandemic is going to affect athletes coming back um, with possibly not training as hard as they normally do. Uh, we touch on some rehab stuff with blood flow restriction. If you don't know, if you don't know anything about that, check it out. Listen, um, it's in the last half of the podcast. And we also finally kind of touch uh, base on his personal experience with back injuries. So it's a good one. Hop in there, dig in, and enjoy. So what have you been up to during COVID? Just trying to stay active. Yeah. Um, we've been, you know, down at the lake a little bit, so playing a lot of golf, uh, getting on the Peloton down there, trying to trying to keep up with running. That hasn't gone as well, but yeah, just trying to stay as active as I can. For How sure. about you? Yeah, same stuff. Um, I mean, I've been doing a lot more of kind of the social media marketing on our side since the gym was closed. Uh, we opened yeah. back up on um, – on Monday, so we have some classes in there. We're still doing some online classes, so it's kind of a little bit of everything right now, which is honestly probably a good like bridge to get everything back. And then we have a ton of teams that want to start back up uh, after they finish up some of their tryouts. So I think we have like sixteen teams that are trying to start back wow. with us. Awesome! So it's going to pick up pretty quick this summer, um, but it'll be cool. It's exciting to get people uh, in house again, even though everybody has masks on or we have masks yeah. on, and everybody's you know eight feet apart or whatever it is. So. Yeah. Um, it's different, but it's better than online training still, for sure. Nice to see people. Yeah, for sure. So um, for people that don't know you or your background, um, if you want to kind of talk about yourself a little bit and just say kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so uh, I've been a PT here for four years now. Um, I knew growing up that I wanted to be a PT. Um, I had uh, some injuries myself playing sports. I played baseball, soccer. Uh, I played soccer in college, so plenty of injuries come through playing sports at a competitive level. So I, I got to go through the rehab process myself um, and see the benefits from that side. Um, had family friends. Uh, my aunt is a PT as well, so I got to see um, from the personal perspective how rewarding it was as a profession to be in the, the healthcare field to, to help people. Um, and then... Um, my grandfather had a lot of health issues as well, so he uh, he went through a lot of PT. Um, so just seeing all the different uh, stages of, of how we can help people um, kind of drove me into, into the field. Um, ended up uh, getting my undergraduate degree in biology from Westminster and uh, parlaying that into uh, going to WashU for PT school. Um, and then I've been out working in an outpatient clinic for four years now um, and kind of uh, treat a wide array of, of people, but uh, definitely love the sports population um, with my background and, and love treating all, all the athletes. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of us kind of get into it for the same reason. Like we had an injury or we had something happen. Um, like I know, you know, I had some injuries just playing sports and obviously I didn't go the PT route, but, you know, the strength conditioning side is kind of still much needed after PT. And we've had a lot of conversations about that. Um, are you, yeah. are you guys, are you starting back up right now as far as doing any kind of therapy or? 
like yeah, in we're person. Starting back in, we're starting to kick back into it. Same thing, you know, difficulty with the with the masks and all that sort of stuff, and and keeping distance. Um, but you know, it's the PT world starting to kick back up as surgeries start to happen again, and um, more people feel safe about going out. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think uh, one of the things that we're gonna, you know, probably both of us are gonna see is this. You know, as the gyms open back up, what Monday um, in the St. Louis area, we're going to see a, a big variety of of injuries coming from that of everybody rushing back into the gym mm-hmm. um, and not, not really being prepared to be back at lifting the weights that they were probably pre um, pre COVID and all that sort of stuff, just because not having the access to it. So I think that's going to be a, a a fun area to navigate is uh not just the um not just the the patients that are going to come out of the out of covid from the respiratory perspective but the the patients that are come out of doing too much too quickly getting back into the gym yeah i think that's where a lot of especially from you know the the strength portion of it uh getting back in the gym that's where a lot of people i think have their issues um just doing too much too quickly after doing too little for too long. Yeah, exactly. I think we kind of had this conversation with some coaches like right at the beginning of all this is you you don't know how long this, well, we didn't know how long it was going to, you know, be obviously a month or two or five. And you didn't want to come out of it out of shape because inevitably you're going to want to come back to sport as quickly as possible. And there's going to be more and more injuries. So I kind of talked about almost treating this like an injury itself, right? Because if you're, If you're sitting on the couch doing nothing, obviously that's an issue. But even if you are doing stuff, you're not out there probably – even if you were doing workouts at home, you're not doing as high-intensity stuff. You're not doing competitive stuff because you can't go out there and play against somebody else where you're doing those high-end sprints and being reactive. So I think building into it, building back into your sport like you had an injury is very important. And that's unfortunately probably not what a lot of people are going to do. It's probably not what I would have done if I was in high school. But um, you know, at, at this point, you have people that you're trying to figure out how to – reduce those injuries from happening again. And unfortunately, a lot of it was you probably should have been doing more when you had that free time, but also spending that time to try to build up that, what I call like the acute to chronic load ratio. So how much have you been doing in the last week? And how does that compare to the last month? So, you know, you don't want to just be doing, you know, down here nice and average and then spike it up to like 200% of what you're normally doing. Um, Have you guys seen any kind of uh, increase in injuries yet or anything? Or is it just too early still? I think it's too early from our from our perspective um i think i think this week will be telling with the gyms opening back up mm-hmm. um and i think you're starting to see some of the at least from the soccer world some of the clubs start to open back up and and get players back out there um and i think that's going to be interesting to kind of watch and how they do it um like you said you you don't have the that competitive drive of, of having people there to, to kind of make your workouts um, kind of go up in intensity level. So I think now that they're going to, you're going to start to see that go up. I think you're going to start to see those injuries come from that. Um, and also I think you're going to, you're going to start to see some injuries come from just not being, nobody being contacted, right? Like mm-hmm. we went, two three months of of no contact in terms of our exercise so your contact sports football soccer um, lacrosse those sorts of things you're starting to get those contacts people aren't going to have that 
normal reaction like they would. Their, their body's not going to be in tune as they normally are to, to take those hits and, and all right, I know where my foot's going to land intuitively because of that hit. Um, I think that's going to be the, one of the hardest things to, to kind of see how people react to that aspect of it. Because, yeah. I mean, I know, I know a lot of, a lot of clubs and stuff are still doing non-contact stuff. So even though they're back now, we're still probably a month out from getting into the contact aspect of stuff. So I think you're going to, it's going to be kind of a gradual grow in the injury. Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to be just inevitably there's going to be more injuries and, and, you know, all the youth sports and, you know, high school sports that we work with. Uh, But it's going to be interesting to see, you know, sports like baseball and like something like hockey in the NBA that's going from two months off to playoffs, basically. That's going to be, I feel like, pretty there's going to be some you know excessive injuries it's just inevitably it's kind of i think going to happen no matter what unfortunately but um you know one thing i, I kind of preached to my athletes when we were working with them because we were doing at-home workouts um, as much as possible but you know some people are working out with milk jugs some people have full weight sets so it's kind of everything in between and our workouts we we're doing you know three to four times a week um just doing it over google you know live or whatever and um yeah you know, those were great, but I always preached to them. Like we, we wrote out sprint and agility workouts for them to do. And it's like, those are really what's going to help you kind of reduce that injury, those injuries from happening. And again, it's going out there and doing that high end intensity. If you have like, luckily we had a couple of guys that, you know, there were brothers that were working out with us. And I was like, go out and like race your brother, like do some agility stuff. And I was trying to get them to do mirror drills and stuff like that with each other. Right. That's just going to, you know, help carry over to sport way more than, doing this stuff in the house, the stuff in the house is kind of building that foundation where we're just trying to get that chronic load up a little bit, but going out and doing those high intensity things where you're doing sprints is what you need to do. And if you haven't done that and you're trying to go out and play a sport, even if you're like some, you know, mom or dad or whoever, and you're going out and just trying to play softball again, or you're going out and try to, you know, whatever your sport is, you're trying to do it again. Like, um, you know, just know that you need to build up that, that chronic load a little bit. Don't go out and just try to sprint right away and, pull something or you know we're i'm in my 30s so there's a lot of uh, achilles tears for guys my age because that exact reason they think they're just as young as they were and they go out and try to play something and you know strain their achilles or you know tear their achilles or something so just taking that time to build it up i think is huge so um, yeah i I think that um this is gonna be you know a lot of times when we're talking about you know seasons starting for people uh, on our end, our injuries rates are going through the roof. I'm sure you're seeing a lot of that too. I think it's going to be even, like even more pronounced now. Like you said, NBA, um, NHL kind of coming back after these long periods off. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge soccer fan. Um, and my, my team is Arsenal and they had two players carted off within, uh, within 25 minutes yesterday. What, were like, they hamstrings or what, what was it? That's I, uh, first thing I think yeah. of is hamstring. Both ankles. Ankles. Yeah. Proprioception. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. And you kind of brought that point up too. Is like, so proprioception for people that, that are listening is just kind of knowing where your body is in space without visually seeing it. And that's something that I know with injuries, if you have an injury that, that goes away and it's kind of hard to bring back um, unless you're actually training it. So like I said, treating this like an injury, like you're going to lose some of that if you haven't been playing those sports in a while. Right. So that's got to be what it was, I assume. What um, with your guys' training that you guys were doing, were you having a like an injury prevention kind of warm up, kind of going into it, or 
for you guys kind of just have for your home stuff that you were doing. Yes. Uh, so COVID. I still treated um, my workouts the same way. So I still had like a plan of if we we're doing hypertrophy or stability or whatever. And no matter what our, our, you know, four week block is, we're always going to mm-hmm. hit up some of those main principles. So we're still doing like, you know, the, some of the static split squats or the, I do a lot of like single leg balance work to kind of warm yeah. things up. Um, Cause I've, I've read some pretty good research about that, helping increase power during some workouts. And I just think it's, you know, great for ankle stiffness um, and then doing just the pogos and doing the, the skips and sp- um, some baseline sprints and just various, you know, agility work that you can do in your house still, which is kind of a difficult part. Um, and then just teaching proper mechanics. So I think those are kind of what you said going to help with like kind of that, uh, you know, injury reduction as much as possible. Um, it's also going to help just with the proper mechanics. So things like proper posture while you're sprinting, right? If you're doing some wall mechanics, you're leaning forward on a wall you're keeping that core tight and driving those knees up where they should be, you know, obviously we want to get you, get you out there and go sprinting, but if you're not sprinting, at least you're able to kind of get in those positions and teach that body of where you should be in those positions. So that's kind of the stuff that we focused on for our warmups and then just building up through that. And I know you've been kind of, um, to some of the classes or whatever I taught, um, but, uh, so you probably saw a lot of that, but it's kind of the same thing. It's just, you had to figure out how to do it in, in the house. And obviously that probably took, you know, little bit of time to figure out what did and didn't work. Um, but we, you know, eventually started figuring it out. And I think all those things are going to help with reducing injuries. Um, I know that there's like some warmups out there, like the FIFA, was it 11? FIFA 11 plus. Yeah. yeah. FIFA 11 plus that like claim that their injury reduction and stuff. For me, it's like, if you're doing proper, just general warmup and you're doing some kind of like skipping or plyos, right. Some kind of something that's reactive, hopefully too. Um, and you're doing things to increase your strength, that's going to re- help reduce your injury risk as much as possible. So I think there's a lot of different ways to get there. Um, but I don't know if you had anything that, that you've seen that's worked in the past. So I, I kind of created one off of the FIFA 11 yeah. um, plus the, my, my, I think the FIFA 11 plus is great. The problem with it is it takes about 35 to 40 minutes to get through it. Yeah. And uh, most, teams don't have that kind of time yeah <laughs> um i mean somebody coming to see you doesn't have that kind of time they're in there f- for an hour hour and a half right and taking up 30 minutes of their time on a warm-up just isn't effect cost effective for yeah. for for a younger athlete or time effective really either especially for people you know especially as you're getting into the under 15, 16 years, years old, where they just don't have that type of mental capacity to stay <laughs> focused on something for that long. Um, so I, me and another therapist kind of designed one of that, um, took, took us 10 to 12 minutes to get a team through. Um, and it, like you said, it's a lot of your static squats, lunges, um, and then getting into some plyo stuff, you know, uh, lateral hopping, um, some jumping stuff. Uh, and one of the things that I, I made sure we put in there was, um, like a perturbation, uh, jump. So have somebody, you know, you have the player jump up and you have their teammate kind of push them and they got to land yeah. softly still. So just something that gets a real life, you know, game like type stuff to get you ready. Um, so that they're moving and, and taking hits in space and, their body has to learn how to land. And I, I think that that's, um, like you said, you know, if they're doing stuff with good form, um, 
and and doing it correctly, then they're gonna it's gonna be successful no matter kind of how you do it. As long as you have those kind of core principles yeah. of of the you know static movements as well as the dynamic movements. Yeah, I think including that neurocog stuff too, like you're saying, like you know, getting pushed when you're in the air or doing like reactive type stuff. I think that's just going to help kind of uh, wake you up a little bit, get the central nervous system going a little bit. And I think that's really what you need before you get, uh, get out there and start doing uh, some kind of actual like high intensity, you know, reactive exercise, like playing soccer or like doing whatever. Um, I think when I first like started like doing like reading research on the FIFA 11, I was like, of course I'm a meathead strength coach. So I was just like, <laughs> dude, if like these kids, go from doing nothing to just doing the FIFA and like that's reducing the ACL injuries. I was like, they just need to do something. <laughs> like They're just not right. strong enough. If that's increasing your strength, you're probably just not strong enough at that point. Um, but also if you are, you know, pretty young, like doing that baseline stuff is just teaching the, teaching you those proper mechanics. And I think that's um, some great carryover. So I don't think you have to do the FIFA 11, but I think you have to do some kind of, basic warm up where you're doing all those type of things we already talked about. So, um, yeah, yeah that's cool. I, you guys made your own for sure. I think the, one of the hardest things that we've kind of run into with it is, you know, all right, we can do it when we're there. I did it with the team that I coached. So I was there. You can do it while, you know, the kids are in front of you, but having them, uh, go and do it with a coach that doesn't necessarily know what they're looking for. Um, in terms of proper mechanics mm-hmm. makes it makes it a little harder you have to really drill into the kids of making sure they're focused and um, they're focused on it and the, the importance of it and that's sometimes hard for a 13 14 year old to understand that um, you know all we're t- rather than just going through the motions to do the warm-up because they're oh I don't get injured because I'm 13 and 14 and <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm flexible and all that sort of stuff. So I think that, um, you know, drilling in the importance of, of this sort of stuff at a, at a young age and, and making sure we're educating the coaches is, is just as important as what they're actually doing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's the hard part is again, like you said, what are they doing when you're not there? So, I mean, I can coach these people up as much as possible, but if they're not doing what I tell them to, when we get to uh, to the actual uh, workout on their own makes it a little challenging. Um, we can shift gears a little bit now if we want to talk a little bit more about actual like rehab. So we're kind of yeah. talking about the almost like prehab stuff. So how do we reduce in injuries as much as possible? Um, you know, for me, it's improving form, improving strength, improving uh, proprioception. So knowing where you're at in space and just getting kind of that um, central nervous system firing before you get out there on the, on the pitch. Um, what do you think, like, just the general – and I always go back to ACLs just because that's my, what I have most experience with, but it doesn't have to be ACLs. But what do you think, like, the general rehab for Joe Schmo who, you know, tears his ACL or rolls his ankle or whatever and is going to rehab somewhere um, and they're not, like, on a team or they're not an athlete? Or maybe they are an athlete, but they're just not on, like, a college or, you know, a pro yeah. team or anything. What do you think those rehabs are missing the most of? Um. I, I think it kind of comes back to a lot of the stuff we, a little, or some of the stuff we talked about um, that they don't have the the proper coaching to note form. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes you get into uh, some rehab places where they're seeing too many people and then the therapist can't focus on the form for them, you know, and, and they don't know what they're, 
what form is supposed to look like because they haven't had that guidance because it's Joe Schmo and you know maybe they pick something up off of the internet that told them hey don't do this or never do this and I don't like to live in the extremes yeah it's everybody's unique so I think I think individuality of the treatment is is super key for those um, those kind of Joe Schmoes that are coming in and so that they can understand that all right this is a general way of doing things and this is the general way of things we want to focus on but let's focus on on you specifically um, and focus on all right so your knees if we're talking ACLs, your knees are caving in as you're kind of going down into your squat. All right, well, focus on some hip strengthening. You know, let's look at the, the, the feet, the ankles. What are those doing? Are those, is your base nice and... Uh-oh. Um, you're kind of... There's a lot of people that especially in the online community that like to live in the extremes because extremes get clicks. Um, and so making sure that we're really individualizing the treatment. Uh, I know you guys from the, the class that I took, it's you guys focus a lot on that and, and pay attention to um, each, each athlete that's coming in. And that's what I think makes your guys' bridge program. So, so strong and so successful is that it's, it's taking the individual components from the rehab world and, and transitioning it mm-hmm. out into more of the real world aspect of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, it, so, go ahead. Sorry, you can go ahead. <laughs> Finish what you're saying. Uh, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say. So, like, what are what are some of the things that you're looking for uh, from the coming from the rehab world to that you're like, I really want to know this component um, coming in because that's going to help me mold their treatment. Um, honestly, for me, it's like, I mean, we do movement screens like we do the FMS. And when I was um, with the ski team, uh, we kind of had our own version of the FMS um, that was more related to skiing. But again, it's, it's similar movements, right? Um, right. But honestly, as like, a, as a coach, and I think this just comes with more experience, you can kind of usually come in and watch people move and then just try to figure out what kind of issues they have going on. So when I talk to a PT, if there's somebody coming into our bridge program, my question is, you know, what are you seeing? Like, are they, do they have something, obviously they have their injury, but what are they compensating with? Is there something that was an issue beforehand that caused that injury? Is there something that we need to fix um, that's a result of that injury? You know what I mean? Like if your hip's super tight because you've been wearing a brace for a month, right? Um, I had somebody come in, they're talking about their hip pain. I'm like, well, yeah, you have, you know, how many more pounds on your leg and you're walking differently right now. So obviously that's going to be an issue. Um, you know, for instance, I had another girl come in who she had... Uh, oops, sorry. Had somebody call me there. <laughs> um, I had another uh, a girl come in who had a, a right knee injury, and we were rehabbing her. And it was later stages when we did squats. I noticed she was shifting into that knee, which is obviously a little confusing because you're like, usually it's opposite. But you know, she was a, a soccer player, and her plant leg was the leg she had the knee injury on. So she was really used to rotating internally on that leg. So her other hip the hip she was shifting away from, she like wouldn't rotate internally on. So just the differences in hip internal rotation, she was like shifting away because she couldn't get as low on that hip. So I think that's the kind of biggest thing I think or I think about or I ask about when I have people coming in from PTs is, you know, what we're seeing uh, movement wise, 
Um, and then also just as far as like, uh, you know, mechanics for, you know, landing mechanics, if they're at that point, or just, you know, just general squad mechanics, if there's anything they're noticing. But um, as far as like ability to do anything, I don't have any specifics because like you said, it's going to be different from, um, you know, client to client and obviously injury to injury. You could have the same injury with a different person. You're going to have different issues, as you know. So um, what are some like technologies that you guys that you've used? I know um, you're doing some cool stuff. If you want to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. So we've been using uh, Dorsavi um, and, and Dorsavi is uh, it's sensors that you put on the legs and on the back. They're about this big um, and they have different gyroscopes and uh and they tell where you are in space so they go right on your shins um and they kind of can can tell you when you know you're having some of that knee valgus the knees falling in and and reverus you know and what when that's happening what it looks like in terms of when we're jumping and landing um and I think that that's been some really cool stuff. I know you've been using your force plates um, and, and need to get those two teamed up and, and see what we can work with those. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think kind of going off of that, the when we're having kind of those um, movements is, is really key. I know there's some people in the world that are, all right, any – bit of fall in from those knees at any point during a squat or a jump is not good. But then you go and look at these world record power lifters, Mm -hmm. right? And they're going down. And then as they're trying to power up, they're going into pretty extreme knee valgus to, to get those like tensions on their, on their muscles from their legs in a good position um, to really drive that power. And it, you know, as I started to do some research on that and look into that, I was like, you know, maybe there's something behind letting some knee valgus on a, on a jump up, yeah. you know, limit it on the, on the landing and stuff like that. But on the jump up, the power component that can come from it, you know, maybe, you know, I don't focus so much on that component because um, that may be just how they figured out me- mechanically and um, efficiently to, to get their, best results from your jumping. Yeah. Um, and so I, I wanted to kind of pick your brain on that and what, especially from the strength component that you and your background, what you kind of thought on, on that. So, yeah, I mean, I think like, uh, everybody's, everybody's built different. So anytime I'm teaching a squat, I'll try to leave some wiggle room for people. Right. So it's like your foot width can be a little bit different as far as your foot flare out. that can be a little different. I kind of learned that, uh, the hard way. So I was, uh, kind of, coached up by some other people when I was younger about how my feet need to be straight. Like they have to be straight all the time when I'm squatting my hips. I have some FAI. So like internal hip rotation is not very great. I actually have some bone on bone, like down there, some can and pincer impingement. So that's fun. Um, and I was trying to squat with my feet straight. So once I started building that, that up and kind of getting heavier and heavier, there was one day where I just felt like a huge, like stabbing sensation tore my labrum and my hip. Um, and I think it was from having my feet straight because once I had the MRI and x-rays it was like basically once when you're internally rotated that that extra bone is closer to each other so for me that's not a great mechanical position for me so I think everybody should kind of uh, figure out what works for them obviously there's going to be some areas where 
you know, that's going to increase your risk for injury. Right. So that's kind of where we have to figure out like how much is too much. So have you seen any research that has shown like uh, if there's like a, a valgus versus varus, so knees diving in or knees going out, um, like a percentage difference from one leg compared to the other, or how much uh, valgus is too much or anything like that? Uh, so in what we've looked at with, with the dorsivy, um, we try and keep it within kind of 10 degrees. Uh, but most importantly, the great thing about dorsivy is we're – it's comparing one leg to the other. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not, you can do some comparisons to whatever the gold standard range is, but comparing your non-affected leg to your affected leg. And I think that's the most important thing um, is, is looking at that because I, we know that the, in, in terms of ACL recovery, 90 to 95% strength is what you need for return to sport. That's pretty well gold standard for return to sport um, measurements for ACL. Uh, and so we're looking at limb symmetry, which is the, the nicest part of, of kind of dorsivy. And, and same thing with your, um, your force plates is we can quickly make a calculation. All right. Output is X output on the right is X. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're at, we're at 75%. All right. We know that they're likely to re-injure at this point. So probably not smart to put them back on the field where they're not, don't have the strength to, to compensate for some of those um, variabilities that come with uh, playing a, a live sport. So, um, you know, I think that that's um, one of the things is, is comparison side to side and not, not pigeonholing yourself into, all right, this is where you have to be in terms of you have to have an output of, you know, how many kilojoules of strength or how many pounds of force through your leg, because then, you know, you're going to compare a D one athlete to a 13 year old girl. And that just, you know, those aren't fair comparisons. Yeah. hundred um, percent. That 13 year old girl is never going to get close to, what you say standard is for your D one athlete. Yeah. Um, so I think comparing side to side, it gets tricky when you have your, you know, 14, 15 year old girl, that's now done their ACL on their contralateral side. And they had one at 13 and had their second one at 15. And now you're comparing, you know, something that's not a hundred percent. And so, yeah, for sure. I know with the uh, force plates, we kind of do something similar where we're comparing one leg to the other. Um, again, when I was in Utah, we got, um, you know, athletes are there all the time. So we we're able to test them beforehand and like, you know, multiple times a year. So we have something we can look back on when they were healthy, which, you know, makes it way easier, especially if there's multiple yeah. knee injuries, which a lot of skiers have. So we were able to look back and make sure that they were back to within 95% of their previous best. Um you know, we looked at, I think it was 92% strength and then um, 92% uh, power on each side. And then we actually started looking at rate of force development. So how quickly you're actually contracting that muscle. Um, specifically, I looked at eccentric rate of force. So uh, for people that are listening, like when I'm landing, how quickly from when I touch the ground to me slowing myself down and starting to push back up, how quickly can I control and stop my body from coming back up? So the quicker I can... Once I put my foot into the ground, the quicker I can come back out of it. 
you know, the faster or more agile I'm going to be, right? That's how somebody's more agile than me, or that's how somebody can produce more power than me. So looking at that eccentric rate of force is huge. And um, Matt Jordan up in Canada did a ton of research. He's kind of found that 85% is that uh, return to return to sport um, for our, our well, I can't even talk right now. <laughs> I'm getting all excited yeah. here <laughs> for uh, uh, RFD, but it's, it's kind of the last thing to come back, at least that we see right now. Um, so that's why it can be a little bit lower, I think. And a lot of times you can train that as much as you want. And there's um, some research that's showing that doing like, um, you know, contrast training kind of helps with that kind of stuff. But we still see a gap there until they get back to their sport. And I think a lot of that is just having the person, um, you know, not thinking about making those cuts, right? When they're in when they're in the gym, even if they're doing something reactive, they're still thinking about that probably. But if they're out there on the field and they're trying to go after a ball, they're trying to tackle this person, they're not thinking about it as much. They're putting some more trust and force into um, those legs. So is there any way that you guys are like able to uh, kind of work with that on people in the rehab setting as far as like not trying to think about your knee as much? Um, like I know we did some kind of neurocog classes where we were trying to distract them with, you know, asking them questions or having them do math, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I do a lot or I try and do in those sorts of athletes, um, a lot of, uh, balance exercises. So BOSU, foam pad, mm-hmm. um, disc, those sorts of things. And then I'll be, I'll be throwing balls at them, having catch balls. Um, if it's a soccer player staying on one, leg, you know, just following the ball back to me, yeah. um, just those sorts of things that make it game like, or, as realistic as we can um we're pretty limited in the in the therapy in a lot of therapies world um because there's just space is limited um and and there's some places that are really sports specific and um have the space have turf that you go and and do those sorts of things uh but a lot of a lot of the therapy worlds you know we're in a pretty small gym and, mm-hmm. you know, we're focusing on as much as we can to make it, um, dynamic and, and add the cognitive component to it. Um, but haven't really been able to, to master a way to do that. I think that's where, um, the bridge with someone like you comes in because you have a little bit more of that space. You can make it more, um, specific to your, your kind of, sport um and then you can kind of have that aspect of all right go out and play for two weeks and come back and see me mm-hmm. um and, and we'll break it down then and, and i do a little bit of that too of saying all right i'll see you in in two three weeks after you you go and play but here's my phone number call me if something's not going well don't just go two weeks and it not go well because mm-hmm. i think that's um that's a place where sometimes people break down um, is, Oh, they said go three weeks, but I've been hurting for a week and a half. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think so that's, make- that's a huge gap. And that's something when I first came back to St. Louis. Um, so people that don't know, I came back here. Uh, my wife got a promotion as we moved back from Utah. I didn't know what I was going to do right away. And I think I originally me and you connected just via social mm-hmm. media and that was something that we had talked about trying to work together. And I was just going to do some personal training on my own, but use my experiences working in rehab and try to help, uh, you know, bridge that gap as much as possible, which is why we call our class bridge of 
you know, people that are, that are in PT and, you know, you guys only have so much time with them. And some of that is a lot of that is manual therapy, especially early on. So getting them into somebody who you feel confident with and comfortable with that they can actually work with um, and try to bring them back strength wise too, I think is super important. And um, it's crazy to talk to people who are, um, you know, rehabbing an injury, just kind of in the, in the general public setting. And I talked to them about how I was doing strength work with people two weeks post-op like ACL. And it's like, that's how it works in like, you know, strength conditioning setting for a pro sport or a college sport or something like that. You're seeing a strength coach pretty close to right away. And yeah, you're not doing like squats and stuff yet, but you're doing core stuff. You're doing conditioning. You're keeping that up as much as you can. So, you know, trying to get people in to see, you know, me or somebody like me um, and pairing that up with physical therapy and having those two people work together, I think is super important and something that's definitely missing. Um, and unfortunately, it's probably because insurance doesn't pay for that. So most people are going to do what their insurance pays for. Um, but in reality, if you're really trying to get back to sport or if you're in high school and you're trying to play in college, you want to rehab properly and you need to make sure that you're building that strength back up because that's something that takes a long time to build back up if you don't do it properly. And I've seen people who will come see us at like six months and they don't necessarily have their hypertrophy, like their muscle size built up. So you kind of have to go back and almost rebuild that before you start to build back up strength. And it just takes longer and longer versus if we're doing that, you know, in that first month, whether that be in PT or whether that be with us, I think that's just a huge disadvantage if you're not doing something like that. Have you done kind of going off that? Have you done any, have you looked at any of this stuff kind of around, uh, BFR blood flow restriction and, and how to, how awesome that stuff is to, to keep from having a lot of that atrophy and, yeah. Yeah. So I will be honest when it first came out, when I was in Utah, um, I was like, this is a crock of shit. What is this? <laughs> like, so again, I like weightlifting and powerlifting. That's why I became a strength coach. Um, obviously I don't do that with all my athletes, but seeing something like that where they're like, Oh, this is going to give you the same hormone release. You're still going to build muscle. And you're like, you're doing body weight stuff and you're cutting off blood flow or not cutting off. You're occluding blood flow a little bit, restricting it. I'm like, this seems like it should not work. So <laughs> we did some research. We actually had one of our strength coaches. She tore her Achilles at the time. And she was the same thing, like a uh, weightlifter. And she started doing it and then like was retesting her force plate numbers. And it was like better. And that's all she was doing was that kind of stuff, like when she was rehabbing. So we were all kind of a little bit more sold on it then. And then, you know, I, I think you just need to be able to know when to use it and how to use it. I think there's a couple different ways to use it. Um, for our instance, for rehab, uh, for people that are listening, like the way we've, we've used it is basically this stuff. It's like a, almost like a tourniquet that goes around your legs and your arms. Um, and it's supposed to occlude or not occlude. Sorry. I keep saying that restrict blood flow. So it doesn't fully occlude it. Um, basically it lets it pool when you're not contracting your muscle. And we, I've seen this with, um, we did put like a Doppler on there so you could see like the Venus return. And basically, when you're not moving your muscle, it's going to completely occlude it. And then when you're contracting, it's actually pushing that blood flow back through. So you're right. getting less blood flow. Um, you know, it's basically the what happens when you do high reps. We start off with 30 reps and then 15, 15, 15. And this is what I've done. I don't know if you've done anything different. But what happens is you're going to have um, those type 1 muscle fibers that use oxygen are going to you know, not die, but stop working pretty quickly because there's not any oxygen. There's a lot less oxygen in that muscle. So you're going to have to start using the type two fibers just to do the same lightweight movement. 
Um, so this lightweight movement you can do early on in rehab. So it's just a way to increase uh, basically the load that you're uh, putting on your body without actually having to increase the weight load. And the thing that kind of uh, surprised me the most was they were seeing in research like the same amount of testosterone and growth hormone release after one of these bouts um, as the same as like going out and squatting heavy or deadlifting heavy. So I think utilizing this early stages in rehab is huge. And it's a way to try to keep some of that strength up. I know we literally have people sit up, sit on a table like a week out of rehab if the doctor allowed it and have them just do quad contractions with these on. Um, are you guys using them any, any different way? Um, so I, I haven't used it, but I'm been researching it a ton. Um, I, I got probably some. Probably a year and a half. You got some? Yeah, I got, I mean, they're the, um, the I, smart cuffs. Yeah. So there's actually, um, a, so Dr. Gunderson, um, is he worked out of our facility in Utah. He actually rented some space up, up top. He used to be our exercise physiologist and then kind of opened up his own facility and he made his own uh, company and I probably shouldn't know the name of it. <laughs> but, uh, so I have a pair of some of his older cuffs. They went to like a, a different one that had like a metal attachment. So he gave me some of the plastic ones, which worked fine for me. And kind of, as I talked about earlier, you know, you can utilize these a lot of different ways. And another way that I've utilized them is when I'm on the road with teams and we don't have a lot of equipment, we can utilize those to increase load without having to have like a barbell with us or any kind of weight. Um, and then I've also utilized it myself as like a recovery tool. You got to think about it just like increasing blood flow. So when, once you take that off, you're going to have extra blood flow to the area. So same as foam rolling or doing Normatex or doing um, like flossing, any of that kind of stuff. And just to kind of get some active recovery in those muscles without having to have a bunch of weight. So I've done that when my legs are destroyed. I'll go out and do body weight squats for like a couple sets with those on. Yeah. Um, some of the other interesting stuff that I've seen come out of it is um, they, they had a D1 basketball program, uh, do it in the off season. You know, I think they took half of them and put them on a treadmill program, uh, other half on, on the treadmill program, but had the BFR on their legs and VO2 max went up like 45%. Jesus. Which was incredible. I was like, just by, and they were just, it was just a walking treadmill program. Yeah. And just that the required, you know, everything that was required from the blood flow component of making sure the the blood was oxygenated to the max mm-hmm. was kind of their theory on why it was so important or why it was so um, and such a big jump uh, for VO two max is that you just had to become the body learned it had to become more efficient yeah. um, with its delivery mechanisms and, and didn't waste anything. Well, something we did with uh, for VO2 max and for uh, rehab with ACLs um, was single leg cycling. And I kind of can see a similar uh, connection with with that and with the uh, the blood flow restriction. So the way that that worked was you do a single leg cycling. And I think you had to get up to 80% of your VO2 max heart rate. So you're crushing yourself on one leg. There's a weight on the other pedal and your foot's just on a box. So it doesn't feel weird. It feels like you're pedaling. But basically... If you're only using one muscle, you actually can get more blood flow to that leg. So it's going to push more blood in that leg, and it's actually going to increase your capillary density. So it's going to allow you to clear some of those waste products faster. So, you know, usually when you start working out, that lactate uh, builds up, and it's actually your body utilizes that through your liver as more um, as more fuel sources right away. So lactate isn't bad, everybody. It's just at some point, 
at some point your body can't shuttle it to its liver anymore because it's producing so much lactate that it can't shuttle it there. And that's when it starts becoming like a waste product and causing issues. So um, if you have more capillaries, more density of capillaries, your body, it's basically more roads. Your body can send more of it to your liver. And um, so we utilize it that way. And I can see this being kind of a similar thing where you're, you're shoving more blood flow to that area. It's probably building more capillaries too. Yep. Which is crazy. I never thought about it that way, but it makes sense, I guess. Yeah, that was, um, I mean, I, I was kind of like you in, when I, I started, I was like, how, how is this going to work? But just the more experience, the more, you know, I, I've just seen the research, everything is just backing it. And mm-hmm. then um, with that, like, you know, I, I think that people get scared. Oh, like you said, the, the wording can get confusing at times with occlusion and you're cutting off my blood flow. What, like, are my muscles going to die? Well, you know, I, I think one of the things that, um, and when I'm, when I'm trying to explain it to patients, if I'm referring to, to somebody that does it, um, is, well, especially if they're post-surgery, it's like, well, the doctor had you, you know, AC, say ACL, the doctor had your knee occluded for how long did surgery take? Mm-hmm. An hour, had it at a hundred and twenty percent occluded, probably. And I'm going to have you on here for fifteen minutes. <laughs> like at at if it's legs, it's what it's eighty percent and fifty percent at arms. I think is is yeah. what standard is. Um, so you know I'm going to have it at eighty percent for your legs and fifteen minutes versus the doctor having it for an hour and a half at 120%, yeah. you're going to be okay. Um, yeah. People are just yeah. scared of it. I think, again, I think using the word restricted helps. It's helped me when I'm working with people. Like we're restricting blood flow. We're not cutting it off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or being like, all right, it's percentage. We're doing a percentage yeah. of, of occlusion. So we're not occluding it. It's, you know, you wait, and uh, what you do, you're supposed to, for those listening, you're supposed to take it to 100 and then back it off mm-hmm. um, so that you can find that percentage. Um, and using the, like you said, using the Doppler to help you figure that out uh, is, is how we keep it safe. Because that is, a, you know, anytime we're doing that, there is risk involved with it. But there's risk involved with a lot of the stuff we do. All right, we're going to do this movement. And if you don't have good form, you're going to injure yourself. Mm-hmm again or something like that um so you know but you know we take it to 100 and then we immediately back it off to the proper percentage based on what we found so i think that that stuff is um super uh, interesting and a lot of the research coming out is um, gonna be i think there's gonna be a big movement here yeah. in the next few years to introduce that to across the rehab world For sure I can tell you if anybody's listening is trying to start doing that, it sucks. <laughs> it burns, man. It's like you're doing body weight squats or you're doing lightweight squats or if you're doing upper body, it's lightweight. And you're like, are you kidding me? I can't even do 30 squats without like my legs being destroyed. We used to have like uh, uh, squat offs. I'd have my, some of my athletes put them on and I'd put them on and we'd see who could you know, do the most because they're going through rehabs so or he's trying to make it a little more fun for them, you know, right. it's the same thing every day. But, um, I think the, the big thing with the, with those is 
like some people hear all this and they're like, okay, why am I ever going to weight lift? And you're like, well, you need, still need to weight lift because this is basically going to increase your muscle mass. Um, it's not necessarily going to increase like your central nervous system as far as how you're recruiting the muscles. So for instance, if you haven't lifted weights in a while and you go out and lift weights and you get strong, like stronger in those first two weeks, sorry to tell you, you're not growing muscle those first two weeks. You're just getting your body is getting used to recruiting the amount of muscle it needs to produce that movement and synchronize that recruiting of the muscle. So things like that aren't going to happen unless you're lifting a heavy weight or unless you're doing something with speed or power. Um, also, you're not getting any kind of tendon change with um, the RFD. So if, again, if you're lifting something heavy, that's going to cause stress in your tendons. Your tendons have to get stronger. This is why I do pogos. This is why I do skips. This is why I do balance work for my Achilles tendon, for everybody's Achilles tendon. Um, to increase the stiffness and the strength in that tendon so you can put more force into it. If all you do is increase your calf muscle and you never increase the strength on your Achilles, you're going to rupture your Achilles, right? So we want to make sure when we can, we're still doing um, those heavy or those uh, high power, high speed movements as well as we get later on in that rehab process. So we would always utilize this for that those first stages of rehab. But the second that I can start putting some weight on people, and of course, there's some there's some crossover there for sure. But the second I can start putting some actual weight on people's shoulders or having them uh, pick something up, we definitely transition back to the standard type of training. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's good for early early stage recovery. It's good for, you know, people that um, can't, uh, you know, bear weight and are limited in their percentage of weight bearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so good for that population. But um, from the, um, from a, a, a standpoint of, all right, I'm just going to do this as my, as my workout. It doesn't, you're like you said, it doesn't replace lifting something heavy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't replace the, the brain figuring out, all right, this is what I have to do to lift this, you know, this barbell or this box to whatever position we're doing it to. So, um, and the other thing is, um, you're not getting the the other benefits of, from the lifting perspective of the of the the weight. So you're not getting your your bone density growth that is really key with heavy lifting. Um, and like you said, the the tendons aren't getting stressed in the same way, um, so they're still an issue for um, for breakdown. But um, it's it's a great tool um to have at our disposal um kind of early on in the recovery process i see a couple of my old athletes like logged on and off while we were talking about blood flow restriction they're probably like oh god because (laughs) they've done it themselves and know how much it sucks so yeah uh, like i said word of warning but it's a good workout you'll enjoy it and usually you're not as sore afterwards which is pretty cool um but um so everybody I've interviewed for this so far, which this is a relatively new podcast for me, I've always ended and it's, I've interviewed a, a strength coach and then a couple PTs now, but what is the worst injury you've either had or you've had to work with? These are always interesting stories. Ooh. <laughs> um, so I'll give you both. Okay. Uh, my, my worst injury would be a herniated disc L4, L5. Oof. Um, I uh, went out for a run, came back, sat on the couch, couldn't get up. 
that was two weeks before I was supposed to report to soccer my sophomore year. Jeez. So that, I missed preseason, missed a little bit of the season there. And then uh, exactly one year later, I was in a car accident, redid it all. So uh, that was that was not fun. Um, I wouldn't recommend uh, back injuries. They mm-hmm. stick around for a while. Yeah. Did you just uh, rehab so, that or did you have to have surgery or anything? Uh, cortisone shot and rehab got me. Yeah. I wanted to play that season. Didn't want to lose anything. Um, I played D3, so I wasn't going to, yeah. it wasn't going to be a career for me. Mm-hmm. So I kind of pushed myself to, to rehab and was in the trainer's room every day for while I was at school and mm-hmm. twice a day sometimes just, because I wanted to get back and play. Um, and then lots of Advil. I think that most was great on my liver. people that are listening who have back injuries, and I'm, I know I've worked with some and working with some who have back injuries that feel like they're going to have it forever and they need to get surgery. Like I would, I do not try to push surgery on back injuries because I've very rarely seen that help in the long term. It's, from a surgeon that I've talked to 50% success rate for the first year. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not, that's not great outcomes. And then Um, usually it just becomes another issue further down the line. Exactly. I mean, you're limiting segments. Um, and you know, say, say you're fusing, let's go L2, L3, right? Well, L2, L3 is supposed to move. And if we're going to be turning, right, if we're going to be turning, and now in order to get something, say, get something out of the back seat, right, um, I have to get that motion from somewhere else. Um, And that then means the segments above and below have to do more work, uh, which is not necessarily the greatest because they're going to break down more quickly. and then from the perspective of um, worst injury I've seen, um, I had a uh, I had a patient that was in a motorcycle accident um, that he broke nearly every or he broke every bone in his in his left leg, uh, rotator cuff, labrum, uh, hit both shoulder and leg. Um, had and then infection rate, all that sort of stuff kicked in. Um, got infected multiple times, so skin grafts um, had came into play. So that comes into play with tightness and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I I saw him off and on for um, about a year and a half because he you know we work on his we'd be working on his hip and then all right his hip's good enough now we can do. Uh, now he can go have his rotator cuff surgery. Um, all right, that's good enough. Now we can go back and do the hip labrum. And so it's just, that was just a long process for him. Yeah. I think I always like to ask people these questions just because there's so many people going through rehab and, um, you know, obviously we deal with a lot with athletes and that's kind of their identity is that sport that they're doing, especially if they're like in high school or college and that's what they've been doing their whole lives. And if they have an injury, especially if it's their first injury, they feel like, but that's taken away from them. And I've definitely seen people who, you know, get depressed from that kind of stuff, rightfully so. So I think just knowing that, you know, there's people that have 
gone through the same thing you're going through. Um, people that have had worse injuries, um, who are back doing what they love to do. And yeah, it takes time. It takes hard work, but like, you know, try to keep your head up, reach out to those people. I know I've started a, a Facebook group um, called the rehab project where I'm just trying to put people on there that have had these injuries or that have, or that have worked with people with these injuries, just for people to have a community and talk to and ask questions to. And, um, you know, hopefully that grows a little bit. So anytime I work with somebody who's going through an injury, I just try to, you know, let them know that that's out there if they do have those kind of questions or those kind of issues. So, um, but, Oh, we have a question here. Yeah. Um, any recommendations for knee control during a landing from a big kicker on flat water wakeboarding? Um, my physio recommends me use a brace not to damage my back part of my medial meniscus. Um, anytime I think about just control with a back leg, I mean, any kind of single leg jump, single leg landings off the boxes, uh, depending on where you're at in rehab. I mean, if you're, if you're currently wakeboarding, then I assume you're 100% back, so you can do single leg jumps. So I would start off people doing like static, like single leg, uh, pause split squats, build it up to single leg jumps, eventually doing single leg depth drops and depth jumps where you're stepping off a box and you're controlling that landing. Um, that's just kind of my go-to stuff. I don't know if you have anything yeah. else. Um, especially with it being landing on water, right? Like yeah. it's not like landing on land. It's not, you know, there's give to it. So you have to, have, I think adding in that proprioception. So, you know, if you're doing your, your depth drops from your box, um, maybe landing on a foam pad or, or something that's going to have a little bit more of that. Um, it's not going to, not going to be static and, and just flat land because that's, um, that's not training for your sport. I think yeah. if you, um, so finding a, a foam pad or something that I've found, um, to be pretty good is to, uh, fold up a yoga mat, um, a lot of people have yoga mats and not a lot of people have foam just laying around. Mm -hmm. So folding up a yoga mat and landing on that gives you a little bit of that instability. Yeah. Sorry about that. Kicks you off after an hour on IG live apparently. So yeah, anyways, apparently. we can continue talking, just uh, finish that up and then probably close it out. But um, we are, you know, talking about, uh, the question of, you know, kind of how to help with some of some landing specifically during wakeboarding on the back leg. And, you know, um, you had talked about single leg landing, um, on physio, uh, pads or a, um, uh, or, you know, folded up yoga mat. Um, I think if you're doing all that kind of stuff, just know that those are kind of two separate things, right? So if I'm doing a single leg jump to flat ground, I'm doing that to try to produce power and try to uh, control landing on, on a stable surface. If I'm doing it, onto an unstable surface that's still needed, but that's kind of, you're doing something different. You're working on that proprioception of landing, controlling the knee, controlling that balance, not letting that knee cave in. So I think both of those things are very important um, and just program those accordingly. Uh, personally, I would probably do the proprioception stuff early because that's to me is similar to like the balance work where you're going to be able to increase that power afterwards. So doing that stuff um, earlier on, maybe like the end of the warm up or something like that, and then slowly progress into those plyos, finishing off uh, with doing single leg plyos onto boxes, off boxes, um, sticking the landings, that kind of thing. Making sure you're bending your knee when you're sticking your landing too. That so many people, especially people with patella tendon grafts that don't like to bend their knee and they just land straight legged. Make sure you're using your muscle when you land. But that'd be my two cents. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you hit it on the, the nail on the head with, those are two different exercises. Um, and I think, or I think 
Yeah, I get it a lot. Oh, I already did box jumps. I already did, you know, jumping stuff. Um, but yeah, you did. You worked on the power component, but we haven't worked on the, the balance component that comes into it when we're, uh, you know, if it's wakeboarding, you're on the water. If it's on a field, it, you know, yeah, a lot of places are going to turf, but mm. not everything's turf yet, right? You know, grass is, grass is still out there and grass is not even unless you're playing on, you know, unless you're playing on the perfect surface, you know, uh, yeah. you playing at Bush Stadium, you know, something like that. Um, those those surfaces are, are always changing. So um, yeah. making sure that you're getting both components of that, um, of that jumping aspect. Yeah. My final thought on that question is, um, since we gave you some advice, you need to take us out wakeboarding now. So <laughs> I've, I've been been since I was in Utah, man. So you need to go out and do yeah. some surfing and wakeboarding. Miss that stuff for sure. Um, I, ha- I haven't been wakeboarding since my back injury. I, I kind of, do it. Uh, I kind of said, All right, I'm done with water sports, <laughs> you, know, you know, no, no tubing, no wakeboarding, anything like God. that. It's just tubing's the worst. It's, if you, it's trash if you your fall, body. If you fall, it, it water is hard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving it. 35 miles an hour. Yeah. I tried to backflip a few years ago on a wakeboard and I got around and then my toe edge just went straight under and I just double ejected straight out, just uh, skipping across the water. That was my last time trying that. But, um, yeah. Oh, you're, you're a little bit more suited to do that with your <laughs> snowboarding background. I skier. I'm not, I just go downhill ski. I don't do any of the jumps. Just so. point it, man. Um, cool. Uh, did you have any more, any thoughts or questions for me or anything? No, I, I think it cool. was a good conversation, and yeah. I, I hope the I hope we touched on some subjects and that people can get some good benefits out of. Yeah, we'll have to hop back on and try this again sometime. Um, thanks for joining me. This was actually your idea, so kudos to you. Thanks for reaching out, um, yeah. and I'll get this posted up on a in a podcast style. We can we can share that. So, Perfect. thanks for hopping on. I'll talk to you later, dude. Take care. All right, have a good one. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hit that subscribe button below. Um, If you really enjoyed it, go ahead and share it, please. And if you have a topic that you want me to try to cover or find somebody that is um, a professional in that specific topic, go ahead and reach out. You can find me at BK underscore strength coach on Instagram. And I'll see you guys next time.